All right, you guys ready to get started? Yes. Right, well, good evening and welcome to Squirm Night 2019, the sequel. I'm Curtis Wackerly, editor of the Aspen Daily News, moderating tonight with Carolyn Zachariasen, the City Hall reporter at the Aspen Times. We thank Grassroots TV for broadcasting this evening. Uh, we are here because in the March 5 uh, record turnout city election, none of the four mayoral candidates received a majority of votes, so the top two are in a race uh, for the April 2 runoff. We are joined tonight by Tori, the first place finisher in the March election, and a two-term councilman whose most recent term ended in 2013, and Ann Mullins, who has also been elected twice to the city council and is in the middle of her second term. Uh, thank you both for being here and for running to represent our town. Thank you. Thanks. We have a series of questions that will be directed individually to each of you and questions that uh, we'll have for both of you to answer. Please keep your answers under two minutes. Uh, we'll have Aspen Times editor David Krause keeping the clock. <coughs> and we'll have some uh, brief time at the end for a closing statement of sorts. So I'm going to start off uh, with Anne. Uh, some observers have suggested that your desire to take this community to another election to fill your vacancy if you're elected mayor is a failure to lead. Uh, please explain why you want to pass the hot potato to the electorate instead of gathering consensus on the council <coughs> to appoint someone. Okay. First, um, I think that conversation is premature. I think we need to wait till we get a council seated in June 2nd, it would be. And that council, whoever's on that council, will decide how to move forward. But you've said that you would support an election, right? You told me you were leaning toward, uh, leaning having, toward having a special election. Which would also, remember, it could go into a runoff, which could take us to the Take fall. us to September. Yeah, and that's one of the downsides of the special right. election. There are pros and cons to each, well, and which, they both have to be weighed. Right. And at one point, I was... Um, leaning more towards the um, special election, but hearing more discussion. Now, I'm not sure which the best uh, solution is. And again, as mayor, I don't, as future mayor, I don't want to preempt uh, my other council members in forming some type of opinion now, which would possibly um, affect what their opinion is going to be. So I think it's a discussion that either way will work. We did change the charter after the last appointment, so it's no longer a roll of the die. Uh, in the last 13 years, we've appointed four different people to replace people who have left council for different reasons. It's worked out fine. We have not had a special election. So I, I'm looking forward to the discussion, but I don't have a preference one way or the other at so this point. you could go either way? Yes. Okay. If, uh, if there's an appointment process, if that's the way you decide to go, would you consider appointing Tory? <laughs> Have to see who the other applicants are. Tori, would you apply for the appointment if Ann wins? Uh, I would absolutely apply for the seat. Um, you know, my dedication to working on the issues for Aspen isn't just about a title or an office or what have you. Uh, I would most definitely put my name in for that uh, vacant seat. What do you think the council should do uh, if you're in the unfortunate <laughs> position of not having been elected, but if it's this decision of appoint or uh, or have a special election what would your advice be my advice would be to work amongst themselves to find out uh, you know a candidate that they could support and that they could work with um, I think the last thing that we should do especially in this time of a dearth of a city manager assistant city manager you know uh, staffing problems in city hall that we'd want to go another 
what is that, six months, potentially without another councilman filling the seat, I, I think that that would put us in a bad position. So my advice would be to work together and figure out um, somebody that they can all support, or at least a majority of them can support. Okay. Good, thanks. Uh, again, Ann, um, again, this is just your tenure here. Voters elected you to be their representative on council for four years. Uh, why don't you think you, can, can, you want to fulfill that commitment when you are campa campaigning for their vote? So why can't you just wait to run for mayor until your term is up? At this point, I've been on council for six years, um, had some successes, uh, learned quite a bit. I've been working with the city six years on council, another seven years on uh, the Historic Preservation Commission. And I feel at this time with the vacancy that it was time to step up. I've considered the other candidates who I might be running for against um, and decided that I would be the best mayor that Aspen, one of the best mayors that Aspen can have and decided to run. But why not wait for two more years? We elected you for four. I want to take this opportunity to become mayor. As you, I'm sure you understand, it's more difficult to run against an incumbent. Right. Um, and I may So not. it's easier to do it now. There's more opportunity. There's more opportunity now, to right. to serve as mayor. Well, what if nobody runs in two years? That and I'm happen. mayor. I'll I'll run again. Well, no. I mean, if you hadn't <laughs> run, you don't know who's going to run in two years, so you don't know whether it would be hard or easy. To well, run. I, I think you can make the assumption it would be an incumbent that would be running in two years. Right. Okay. <clears throat> Uh, Tori, you've talked about uh, the leadership failings of, uh, of this current council and, and your opponent. Uh, how would you work with someone that you have criticized uh, since and will be on council for two more years should you be elected mayor? Uh, thank you for that question. Um, I, as I've said, I would be delighted to work with Ann. Um, but before I get into the further answer for that, uh, you guys jumped right into it. I first want to say thank you to the people that are here tonight. Uh, I appreciate you attending this in person. Uh, I also want to extend my thanks to the council that you're, you're talking about and that I'm about to talk about. Um, you know, I want to say thank you to Burt Myron and Adam Frisch, um, who didn't succeed in election in this past uh, election, but ha have done a, a wonderful job of representing Aspen. I also want to uh, say thank you to Steve Scadron as well. We are looking to fill his seat. Um, and I want to make sure that everybody knows, you know, I think that Steve Scadron's done a great job representing us on a lot of fronts. But this gets to the heart of your question right now. What have we seen from this council in the last six years um, is, is really a, a bunch of reversals, some fence sitting, some flip flopping, and a lack of strength, conviction, and leadership. So it's not that we may disagree on the issues. I think that Ann and I probably share uh, a lot of issue interest as well as some goals, but it's really about how we're going to get there. You know, I could give you a, a long list of examples of where this past council and Anne as well um, started on a path and then retreated. Uh, things like the power plant years ago was negotiated for over a year and walked away from with a lawsuit pending, perhaps. We're going to get there. Okay. So the, the, you should just answer the question of how you're going to work with Anne. I, I'll save the list. And I would look forward to working with Anne. Uh, I do have a lot of respect for her. I do think that we share the same interests and issues and some of the same goals as well. So for me, it would be uh, a, an absolute delight to have her on a council. And I intend to make that council stronger than it's been in, in the recent past. Well, so Tori, you, you 
tout the, your ability to lead the council in a more effective manner than your opponent, but I'm just curious, your opponent has run a large, successful business and has had dozens of employees reporting to her. Have you ever managed employees or owned a business? And uh, now you're really getting in trouble. <laughs> and can you please describe your leadership style? Yes, Tao, please. That's my first, my first leadership action. Can we get some paper towels or some towels up here, please? I'm trying to distract the candidates. Yeah. <laughs> um, Curtis, I'll go on with the answering the question. You know, um, I've had a lot of work experience managing people, managing teams, uh, owning businesses of my own, yes, but more importantly, here in Aspen alone, managing and running businesses for other people. Uh, a, a wide variety and a broad experience in the workplace here as well. Um, I'm no stranger to it, but if you want to look, you know, even on the surface, I spent eight years at this desk on city council. Four of those is mayor pro tem. Uh, I'm very aware of, of how city hall operates. I'm very aware of how this table, table can operate at its best. I've run meetings from this seat before and uh, with great success. Uh, I look for uh, an efficient and open communication uh, with my fellow council members. So uh, I, I am very equipped in order to step into this seat. And I think it's something that we need right now more than ever. Uh, just on the phone today with uh, city manager, interim city manager, as well as Alyssa Farrell and Human Resources. You know, right now in City Hall, City Hall is uh, under duress. Uh, we're lacking staff. We need some leadership. And that leadership is going to come in the form of a new mayor and, and, and now, not in September or October, uh, when we can fill the city manager's seat. So I'm very excited about working together collaboratively for problem solving here in City Hall. I would just follow that up with, describe what your leadership style is. My leadership style, number one is communication. You know, I, uh, I've said before, uh, I don't think of myself as the smartest guy in the room, but I do think of myself as somebody who can assemble the smartest people in the room and work together with them. So number one, my style is collaborative. Uh, I'm looking for input. I'm looking for input from citizenry, from staff. Uh, I'm looking to make a city hall that represents citizens and respects city staff. Uh, I think we can get tremendous things done in this community if we work together. That's my leadership style. And we'll ask you the same question. How would you describe your leadership style? Um, I would describe it first. Um, I heard a great definition of leadership. Uh, leadership is listening, and I take that very seriously. It's first quietly listening and gathering all the opinions, the information that you need, and then starting to put it together strategically uh, into what can be a long-term solution. It's also very assertive, and it will distinguish that between being aggressive uh, uh, assertive is more persistence, consistency, and I'm sure this will come up, and Tori just mentioned the flip-flop of council. I'd like to address that, and if, if you're not going to address it, I, I will speak to it. Um, and so assertive, consistent, persistent, um, and very respectful, Refe respectful of all the participants. But lastly, um, pulling together all this information and Determining a, a strong position, something that people can understand, can uh, they can see where you are. It's actually a, a way that somebody can argue with you if they know what you stand for. Um, and again, sticking to that, 
Sometimes you, well, and sticking to that, the consistency. Okay. Uh, given that, what you just described, um, where was this type of leadership style when the mayor was moving forward with an initiative to bring a national corporate contractor for the mobility lab for 800000 bucks? So could you have done more to lead uh, the council to a better outcome? Unfortunately, probably up? not. We, that appeared on our consent calendar on a Friday to vote on on Monday. And uh, we had not seen it before. We'd heard a little about it, but not specifically what it was. So it would have been very hard to change that direction. I did vote against it. And uh, the Mobility Lab as a whole, I'll be honest, I was supportive of the various initiatives that, that made up the lab. Uh, was sorry to see it uh, not go forward, but in the end, when I realized that over half, <laughs> half the people in Aspen were not supporting it, I, I couldn't uh, support it either. It, it wouldn't be successful if we didn't have the support of the citizens. I mean, there were plenty of people in this building that knew that that contract was coming up on Monday, and, th and then it was with Lyft. There was lots of people. But we didn't, uh, yeah, it was Lyft. We didn't know all the details. We did not see the contract until Friday afternoon. Mm -hmm. well, and did, it, pardon me? Did you have any opportunity to, to speak with the mayor and your fellow council members to express your misgivings about what was happening and maybe stop the, the disaster before it happened? Uh, yeah, Monday. Yeah, I spoke to other council members and talk, talked to staff and said, I, I will not support this. You can't put an $800,000 contract on the consent calendar. I don't care what it is. That's not something that can be decided on a consent calendar with the little information that we had about it. Well, right, you pulled it. And we're just wondering if you've had, if you had information leading up to that. You no, were all I, for Lyft until, or all for the Mobility Lab until the Lyft contract came. No, as I said, we... Um, we heard that something was going on, that we were maybe dealing with uh, a national name, but we really didn't have details until that week. And then, as I said, didn't have the final until the end of the week. Okay. Thanks. Uh, well, we'll get to the powerhouse now. And I think everyone uh, who witnessed that would describe that as one of the most astounding uh, walkbacks or flip-flops in City Hall history. Uh, and it came on your watch when the council selected a new tenant for the uh, for the old powerhouse in 2015 and then ditched them a year later uh, under pressure from neighbors. Uh, why was this such a failure? And do you think the city is better off today with offices in that building uh, instead of the proposal that you initially supported for uh, you know, all these different uh, community okay. serving amenities? Well, I've got a lot more than two minutes to talk <laughs> of, of conversation about that. But... Um, in short, yes, the, I was a, a very, very strong supporter of um, the proposal. Aspen, uh, Aspen Tap, Aspen Brewery, and David and Spencer were right there. Um, they fulfilled all the criteria that we'd worked for about a year to put together. Um, it was a spectacular proposal. It was going to activate that whole space. It did exactly what we wanted. Uh, for various reasons, partly the applicant, part, not the applicant, but... Um, the group, the proposal, and the city uh, did not act on it quickly enough. I think that was the main failure. We should have acted on it immediately, finalized all the terms, no matter who was in the powerhouse at the time, which actually was the library using the powerhouse uh, temporarily. In the end, what came to us that night, which was a really, really difficult meeting, was something very different than the original proposal that we had had approved. 
it was focused on uh, a co-working space. Uh, it had become a nonprofit. It had deviated from everything that fulfilled the original criterion in um, the RFP, and that's why I voted against it. They, cha they, they substantially changed their proposal? They, turn they turned into a nonprofit, mm -hmm. um, and they were emphasizing the co-working space over the restaurant space, the studio space, the event space. Um, wasn't, it the, wasn't it the same basic functions, just under a nonprofit uh, organizational structure as opposed to a for-profit? Not what we saw, not what we saw that night. And, you know, I went over and over and went through the criteria. It no longer fulfilled the criteria. Um, because I'm not of, sure how it what morphed into um, what it was, but it was no longer what was the original what the original proposal was. Because why exactly? It had changed to become a... How did it change, yeah, how did specifically? It change? There was no longer the emphasis on the restaurant, on the studio, on the outdoor okay. space. Um, the... Yeah, the outdoor space was restricted, and again, I thought I thought that was an error. There, uh, I, do I go through the criteria again? It, the, one of the criteria was activate activate the outdoor space. It no longer did that. One of the criteria was to be com accessed by the community, no restrictions. Once it becomes a co-working space, it's somewhat a private space. The whole building was supposed to be open <coughs> to the public, whether as a restaurant, the TV studio. So when you look at that building now, do you think the city is better off with the offices there? I mean, how do you, how do you evaluate that? You no, know, I don't think, I don't think it should be a, a private restricted facility. I think it should be a community asset. Um, and whatever, you know, it's going to be several years before we talk about this building again and what should be in there. Uh, but at this point, I want to make sure it's accessible to the community and not... Uh, private space. Tori, can we get your take on this here? I know you have I would love thoughts. to. Um, you know, uh, first I want to go back actually to the mobility lab and the lift contract. Um, <clears throat> I just wanted to point out that, you know, this is one of the things I've been talking about in this campaign is about communication. Communication isn't just outreach. Uh, you know, the meetings that we have in, in the limelight or what have you, where you put a colored dot on your preference, that's, that's outreach, but I'm talking about communication. So the lift contract, I, I've, I really felt that this council failed in the sense of follow through um, to, to simply say that, that they were surprised three days before the contract was on the agenda. I, I find number one, hard to believe and, and two, disappointing if that's the truth. Uh, that kind of program requires follow-through. It requires you checking in with your city staff and saying, hey, how are you doing? How's this program moving along? Where are we? It wouldn't be surprised in three minutes, uh, three days before. Uh, the power plant, I, I was disappointed in the power plant reversal because truly everything that the city was asking for was going to be put into that proposal and going to be executed. The shared workspace was something that was supported. The, the food and beverage operation was something that was supported. Uh, and then the community space and activating both the inside and the outside was supported. It was under a potential lawsuit threat that the city then, and this council specifically, retreated from. Uh, so it, it was interesting to me at the time uh, I was having meetings with people that was saying, you know, all they need is support here. This this program can still go through as it is suggested. It was the three things that were going to be in there the entire time. So really, it could have been worked out with the neighbors. It could have been a success down there. I'm just saying this for one one more 
the, I believe Tori is correct that the elements of the proposal were all there in the beginning and, and remained there in the end. Uh, they didn't substantially change. And for you to say that's why you chose not to support it, I just wonder if it was really about the neighbors and the threat of the lawsuit more than more than some qualm with the details no, of the let's proposal. No, let's, um, let's take the activation of the outdoor space. By the time the, fi the, the final proposal or that evening when what we were looking at was an extremely restricted use of the outdoor space and this the um, the group had agreed to this they'd worked with the neighbors uh, it was unfortunate because I don't think the the noise factor was uh, was that serious but they had made an agreement to greatly restrict the use of the outdoor space what I would say is well, it's going to come back, and that's going to be an issue again with the outdoor space and the no, neighbors. I don't, I don't, sorry, I don't think so. You go down there and do some noise testing, and when you – I don't think the noise was the issue that it was made out to be. And, again, this was partially the city's fault, partly, partly the proposer's fault, that we didn't pin this down much earlier in the process and say this is not really an issue. Uh, well, we're talking about uh, both your records. You both have one from, from your service on council. We're going to talk uh, to you a little bit, Tori. Sure. Um, in your response to a questionnaire published in the Aspen Daily News on January 29th, uh, the first round of this campaign, you referred to the infill codes of the early 2000s as the city's biggest land use mistake in the last 20 years. Uh, yet when you came onto the council for the first time in 2003 and into 2004, uh, you voted for every single one of the ordinances that established uh, the up zonings that you know, together referred to as the infill codes, uh, including uh, ordinances that doubled and tripled the allowed building sizes in the downtown core. How can you explain those votes? I can explain them like this. You know, I was very excited to work on the infill proposal uh, during a time when we had Helen Clandrud as our mayor. Um, and uh, an aggressive uh, upstairs staff in ComDev. My contribution to those were actually lessening most of what you just talked about, lowering heights as a matter of fact. Um, so my participation in those, uh, it, is, it is constant give and take. I did the best that I could working as a new council member and somebody that just got on with that, a process that had been in, the, in play for three years. So I was very excited about the fact that I was able to lessen those and bring those heights down and bring down some of those building envelopes. Uh, we did a lot to increase pedestrian space and amenity. We did a lot more for the downtown community in that than just the negatives. Uh, were there still negatives in it? Absolutely. I did not withhold hold my, uh, my vote from that because of the work that we'd put in and that I'd put in with staff. So for me to say to them that I appreciate where we were going and the direction that it was, it was appropriate at that time to vote yes for the changes that were made to the infill codes. Right. So you drank the Kool-Aid the first term and then you took some time off and then you came back and you reverse, tried to reverse everything. Uh, you know, I, and, I, no, 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 I, I wouldn't agree with that at all. I wouldn't agree with that at all. I would say that from day one, I'd been working on smart growth legislation here. And, and for me in the downtown core, that meant lowering heights at that time, without a doubt. Uh, so I, I've been working from the beginning on that. I, I took, the, took the successes that I could and moved forward and continue to work on it. Okay. Well, some would, some would look at it that way, however. The, these, and, these codes raise building heights from 28 feet to over 40. 
I mean, how they were proposed at 51, as a matter of fact. Yes. And so so bringing them down as much as possible, six feet, as a matter of fact, to 45 feet, two feet additional for a mechanical roof. Uh, you know, I did what I could do at the right. time. I was like I said, I was working with a very aggressive council and an aggressive city hall as well. I was happy with the positive changes that I made. OK, so let's talk about the reversal of that trying to backtrack from that infill uh, time. So our question to you would be, or is, what kind of leadership is it when you introduce an emergency ordinance, as you did in 2012, as a council member seeking to lower the height of the buildings, and you didn't know if you had the support of your council, and then this blunder led developers to rush to file applications for three-story buildings, with penthouses on top. And I know you say that there wasn't a flurry of, and that would have happened anyway. Correct. And ComDev would not say that. And in an article from 2016 in, that Rick Carroll wrote in the Aspen Times talks about the reflection of how bad that was and how bad 2012 was, and we don't want to repeat that. Yeah. So what is that? Leadership. What is that? Well, well, first of all, I do agree with the statement that you made that, you know, that influx of applications would have come in anyway throughout the process. I I maintain that. Um, If you the difference was that they would have had a three month notice why we went through a public process instead of an emergency ordinance. So I stand behind the emergency ordinance that I brought forward. Um, You know, I was uh, off of council for two years between my terms. And during that time, there was very little motion made to amend the land use code and do some of the changes that this community has been talking about for a while. So when I got seated back on, I was uh, very anxious to continue that. Uh, When I introduced the emergency ordinance, it had been talked about on council, and there were two votes that didn't come along with Mayor Scadron was a yes vote, Mick Ireland was a yes vote, and myself. What we needed was one more yes vote to pass that discussion to the next day, 24 hours later. Of course, Adam Frisch and Derek Johnson were the two that did not vote for that. Uh, I maintain to this day that that was probably the move that should have been made and that they should have voted for that, and we could have had that discussion 24 hours later. Well, why? Sometimes leading, sometimes leading, you put your neck out there, and you're not successful. But what I saw for a need for our community was really that these heights had been talked about for a long time, and it was something that needed to be done then. So why not call them up? Yeah, wouldn't more effective leadership have been to talk with them before you played your hand in public and, and cause this rush of development applications? That conversation had gone on. Adam and Mick say that you did not talk to them. That's, so, it's just not true. There were three of us that came to the table all knowing the conversation, right, and the Adam, other two were aware of it. Yes. Did, was Adam aware that you were going to announce an emergency ordinance yes. more than 24 hours in advance? Yes. More than 24 hours? Yes. The conversation had been going, actually, for a week to two weeks. Yes. Okay. Somebody's not telling the truth. So... <laughs> I don't know. I'm not saying you are. I'm just. I we're, we're I, just I, I appreciate that. I, I I respect that somebody has a uh, poor recollection of the events. Right. But I'm sorry. That's just not what happened. Okay. All right. So you called Adam and told him you were going to do this, and he said, "I'm not going to support it." This you- was actually a conversation that had happened um, in this room. It was not. It was not a private phone call. This conversation had been going on for a week to two weeks. But so you didn't actually know whether or not you had his support when you introduce the emergency ordinance i i was not uh, to be honest with you i was hoping that he would make a good choice 
Um, but no, I did not count five votes. I did not. You didn't count four votes. I did not. Shouldn't wouldn't that have been better? No, I don't think so. No, I don't think so. Th- due to the process at the time, I I don't think so. And once again, once again, I will say this again. I I feel like I made the right decision, and I think the wrong decision was not supporting that ordinance moving forward, or at least a discussion of 24 hours. To be honest with you, I'll maintain that. And do you have an opinion about that, how you would have done it if you wanted to lower building heights to 28 feet and not let developers take advantage of your your thought process of that? Well, I never would have voted for the infill ordinance or for the art museum. Uh, But in terms of... But 320,000 square feet up the Ajax is okay. Okay. That's a different... That's a whole different discussion. That's not... Pointing it out. Good. No, that, good point. But, but yeah, we'll get into that. I'm assuming. Yeah. If you, yeah. if you were trying to get something changed that quickly, would you? How would you? Have As I understand it, I would have to make sure I had secured four votes, or it would backfire. Um. Well, uh, you know, and you. <laughs> go ahead. Speaking of uh, some of the development you have approved while you've been on council. Yes. Um, how is it possible to highlight your environmental uh, commitment, uh, call yourself a concerned environmentalist, w- with your approval of over 400,000 square feet recently, including uh, the Lift One Corridor and uh, the new uh, City Hall, which I would point out you actually wanted to be bigger. We, the, the initial plan was to make that a 55,000 square foot building. Uh, you know, it got whittled down. You supported okay. all those all those big projects. So so how does that okay. square with an environmental mindset? So let me flip this around, too. Okay, this is the leadership. This is part of being consistent. When I first got on city council, this discussion had come up. It had been going on for a couple of years. And city council, we decided on the one-roof solution down there at Rio Grande. Mm-hmm. Fine. We're down there. We're going to move forward. It's the most efficient. It's the most cost-effective, the best for the staff, best for visitors. It uh, been studying programming it for several years, okay? So that's in place. Um, then a couple of years later, it gets stalled. Then we have the, the vote on, on this building, which actually reinforced the original decision of having the one-roof option down there at City Hall. Uh, I was the only one that voted to support that advisory vote. Everybody else said, no, let's, we're going to ignore that advisory vote, which... There's so much discussion about we need to respect what the voters want and what they vote on. That was, that was an example of it. Um, we, the rest of council turned their back on that. Um, we've just had a recent vote in November, 60-40, I think 57-43 or something, supporting City Hall in that location. Yes, it's a lot of square footage. In the end, it'll save us money. It'll save us um, time. It's efficient. We're going to make it as green as possible, 100% renewable if we can get there. We're still working. We've approved the shell and the footprint and the height, but we're still working on making that the best project possible, and it's a project that will serve the city for the next 50 years. Okay. How about, how about 11,000 dump trucks to excavate the Lift 1 corridor? Isn't that going to be an environmental monstrosity? One of the things we're talking about, there's, you know, there's a lot of work still to do. So the, again, citizen vote, <laughs> I'll admit it was pretty close, um, citizen vote to approve that. Uh, there's a lot of hoops they still have to jump through, and many of them are the environmental <clears throat> concerns. One of the ideas was working, and it sounds a little far-fetched, but there's no point in not exploring it, is working with the ski company, what you can do with that, that excavated material. Perhaps the ski company could use it to 
to enhance some of the runs. I mean, there's, we're not going to just say, fine, we'll let all these dump trucks take the stuff out. I don't want to fill the landfill with that. Um, we haven't talked about um, various deconstruction as it applies to excavated material, you know, separating it and recycling and reusing it as they can at the dump. There's, yes, it's a lot of dump trucks. One of the reasons we put in uh, the ordinance that no longer allows five-story basements is because of that, exactly. So we will fire our hardest to figure out how to minimize the impact of the construction up there. Okay. Uh, I have a question for you, Anne, which is based on your, again, voting record. Some of the uh, approvals uh, on projects as a council member that you allowed variances on to the land use code, which ultimately led to a voter referendum question that now skips over council approval and goes to an automatic vote when such variances are proposed. Do you have any regrets on any of those prior decisions that led to the REF 1? Could you give me the examples of those? You proved base 1 or base 2, for example, uh -huh. which had variances. Yeah. And then shortly thereafter, uh, voters put this council in check by approving okay. referendum okay. 1. Okay, I just wanted to know if that's yeah. what you're referring to. Yeah. Um, Yes, it did have variances. Uh, that was a project that, again, um, I supported and I continue to support. We needed, it was at a time when we were talking about losing lo uh, lodge rooms. Uh, small lodges were being torn down to, because it was more profitable for the owner to turn it into residential properties. The proposal for... Um, I can't remember exactly how many rooms. If they were small rooms, it was going to be inexpensive rooms. The emphasis was going to be in common areas uh, for use by the lodgers and the community, uh, right in the center of town, right next to transit, uh, next to commercial activity. It seemed like a perfect spot to, to have a fairly dense lodging development. And that's why I supported it. And the variances, as I recall, they were... There was a height variance, and there was a setback variance, and then there were a couple others that did not add to the square footage. So the, the variances were not extreme. Um, and to me, they balanced out the need for the lodging. I think, I think that the floor area was the big one there. It was, it was double the floor area. Because it was lodged. It was double because of the stories. The, it was, well, we can get details. <clears throat> the footprint didn't get bigger. Tori. If given a second chance, would you vote again on that to approve the Aspen Art Museum? That's a good question. Um, yes, I'm going to take yes. You know, for many reasons. Number one, what you see there, that basket woven design, is not what I actually voted on and approved. That was an administrative change later on. Yes, there was a different proposal. It was brought right here into City Hall and Council Chambers. So what you see out there is not what I approved, not what I voted on. How was it different? Um, the original was a, um, it was a wooden design that was a much more organic um, d pattern design. That was their first choice. I, d I was not on Council again after uh, the changes were made to the outside skin of the building. So I, I regret that deeply. Um, but that project had gone through three councils. I was on council, saw it at a first time in a mixed-use building. 
passed that to a second council. That second council was denying that, that mixed-use building. It came back as an art museum. Um, I support the art museum. Uh, I don't support what it looks like on the outside. I agree with everybody. Yes, it's ugly. Yes, it's big. Uh, that's, that was the land use code at the time. It's a shame that that, that was the code. Um, probably because Thanks Derek Phil. and Adam didn't vote for what I brought forward. So, um, so my point being is, you know what? It is an art museum. There's no luxury penthouse on the top that's squashing business or fun and vitality in Aspen. Um, it's missing some other components, but yes, I'm going to stand behind it. It is art inside, and for those of you that hate the outside, I hope you do go to the inside. And how would you have voted on that if you were in, on the council? Would you accept that as a lawsuit settlement? Well, that's I don't I don't know any of the details of the lawsuit and what had, what had happened previously, and why that was um, up as a proposal to settle the lawsuit. If I was looking just at the building as a project in town, um, I would support having an art institution in town. I I think it's too big for the site. The design is. Uh, it, not crazy about it, but I would not have voted it for it in its current form. But that's not knowing uh, what problem it was trying to solve, and I know it was quite complex. Okay, uh, Tori. Also, when you were on council around the same time as the uh, as the failed emergency ordinance, uh, you worked on a deal with Councilman Adam Frisch where uh, you traded away in-town affordable housing and gave a developer a twenty-five million dollar penthouse. Uh, as part of the council's horse trading to preserve the Little Annie's and Benton buildings. Uh, was that deal in the best interest of the city, and how do you evaluate it today? Uh, again, you know, that was a, a motion of compromise. Uh, yeah, I'm very excited that we have preserved some of the character uh, downtown, the Benton building, Little Annie's. I'm very proud of that. Once again, what you have on the corner um, is under code for size and volume. A disappointment there was uh, some of the actions by other council members. One of the persons that I was negotiating that with literally said, I don't really care what is inside. So we lost some traction and some ground on that negotiation due to that. Um, am I proud of it? It's not the best move we have. Uh, you know, to be honest with you, that whole block that was redeveloped by uh, Garfield and Hecht for most of it is not what this community wanted at the time. Again, that's why I brought forth the emergency ordinance to stop projects like that. But despite that, they could have built three quarters of that block with the exact same building envelope that is on the corner. So once again, I'm in that trade off. Yes, I am glad that we have preserved some of the history and character of downtown. Are you happy with the deed-restricted uh, menu at Clark's Oyster Bar? <laughs> uh, that was not part of it. You know, it was, uh, it was, it, we, we did not have usage control there. It was not. It's, it's, so. it's supposed to be, the deed restriction is so, attached to a September, I think 2015 menu, I think. And, and so there are some things, am I happy about it? No, I'm not, you know, and I think that's, that's kind of the problem and the trend that we see in Aspen. That's why some of the, the trade-offs for some of these affordable lodges is not the best idea because they don't truly stay affordable. Right. You know, we've seen that failure in other areas as well. But once again, I'll reiterate, yes, I'm happy with the historic and the character preservation that we achieved there. Thanks. And uh, you've been on council for six years. What workforce housing have you been responsible for creating? Like roofs over people's heads. 
not on paper. In the last six years, we've built 139 units, which is the equivalent of about 200, the equivalent of 256 bedrooms, which but I where? think is commendable. Where is that at? It is at, it's the uh, Burlingame 2. It is the three uh, affordable, uh, I'm sorry, the private-public partnerships we have with Aspen Housing Partners. Those people which, don't live there yet. I know, but they'll be, they'll be in by 2019. They'll be in by the end of this year. And then there is the affordable housing behind the police station. Can you take credit for Burlingame too? They're not the initial approval, but keeping it going. There, there were some, some stalls. And, you know, I was on council in 2013, and it had just begun. And, um, yeah, I will take credit for making sure that that project got completed. <laughs> And the pending lawsuit that's coming from the defection, the defects coming <laughs> from the which the, the defects that are coming. That's that's an issue for Burling Game too. Yes. Right. Yes. Uh, let's talk a little bit about the Lift One corridor. Uh, one longtime local said she has never seen this community so divided, uh, and we had the recent uh, very divisive campaign that was decided by a mere twenty-six people uh, making w way for this project. Uh, both of you could please uh, respond to this question, but how are you going to be able to lead a community that is so divided? I'll start with Tori. You know, I, I don't think our community is as divided on our goals and our aspirations as maybe this vote seems to say. Um, I think you really got to look at this vote and how it was handled by both sides. Um, under a microscope to really find out how this vote was achieved at 26 being the margin. Um, you know, my intention, just speaking of this project in specific, is to do the best I can to help this project be the best project it can be. Uh, just because I didn't support it, uh, just because I was a no vote on it, doesn't mean that I won't represent this community and get the best product that we can up there. Um, you know, when we talk about a divided community. This is kind of what I'm talking about at this table. Part of my platform and, and what I've been talking about is community and healing some of the community rift that we have. Um, and I think that I am the leader that, that can come to this table and do that best. Um, we have very diverse voices in our community and we need to hear them all, but we need to weigh them against what, what our core values are and continue to represent that and make policy based on that up here. <clears throat> Same question to you, Anne. How, how do you lead this divided, uh, what appears to be a very divided community right now, and yeah. maybe try and heal that rift? That, to me, is one of the biggest challenges for the new mayor, hopefully myself, um, because it clearly was not a mandate. And uh, an election like that, 60-40, yes, that's, that's support from the community, but 26 votes difference is not support. Um, but it has been passed, and so it'll be going forward. Um, most people know I was a strong supporter of the project. What I would do as mayor is, and similar to what Tori just said, uh, make sure the project is done the best way possible and what we just talked about with uh, some of the environmental issues that come up. There will be changes. Uh, there's lots of permitting, lots of things to make sure to keep pushing constantly to improve the project. Um, make sure that the developer uh, follows through with everything that's promised. Nothing, nothing gets left on the table. Um, one of the lessons out of this, to, for me, uh, as I said, for like base um, 
base one, the reason I supported that was we needed lodging rooms. Now we have, we have an abundance of lodging rooms. We get this project done, we've got the Sky Hotel, uh, perhaps uh, base two, no, I'm sorry, I got the bases in, mixed up, sorry, base two, base one. Um, what we need to do now at this point is the go back and look at the affordable housing mitigation. It was quite generous for the lodge incentive package. Uh, we need to take a look at that and probably change it and not allow such a generous incentive anymore. It wouldn't apply to this project, but it would going forward. So much of what we do is we learn from a project the things that are successful and things that aren't. So the next time a proposal for 200 hotel rooms comes around, we'll have an adequate affordable housing mitigation? No, we're changing the whole lot. Well, if, if for me, I would change the lodging incentive package to require more mitigation. I'd change the historic preservation guidelines to require more mitigation. This is, you know, our goals change. One, you need lodging now, and now you need affordable housing, and you have to be flexible and continue to adjust. Speaking of that incentive, which has been in the city code going back to the infill days, that <clears throat> allows developers to provide less affordable housing if they have a certain density of lodge rooms, do you think that was properly applied in this case of the Lift One projects? It was, it was like 23 feet off or something. You're talking about the 500 square foot or less uh, room. Right. Was this incentive used in the way it was intended? It was. <clears throat> when, you, it, uh, when you looked through the proposal and the number of rooms, the size of the rooms, the FAR, it all did balance out. Um, as it, yes, I felt it was probably it, right. It was, so. as far as we know, checking with community development, it was, that incentive was put in the land use code to spur uh, high turnover, economical, short-term lodging. And right. we heard the developers say, we are going to charge what the Hotel Jerome and St. Regis and the Little Nell charge. So, well, again, was, we ask you, is, is that the intention of that incentive? And why didn't you change it when you were on council in the last The first time it was years. applied was, I think, to the Hotel Aston and Molly Gibson. We took a look at that and to, to get less expensive, um, smaller rooms. And not, I don't remember the conversation about high turnover, but this is the kind sure, of lodging that we're trying to, right. to get. Um, in terms of this, again, we were looking for the lodging rooms. Uh, that was the, the current goal of council. To, to get more lodge rooms in town. Uh, we can't, unless like the menu, we tell them to use the 2015 menu. We really can't dictate <laughs> what, what the hotels charge. Uh, I don't exactly know what, what would council do? We couldn't tell, what are you asking? <laughs> Why didn't you remove that incentive? For if it because it was working to give us the lodging rooms that we needed in the smaller size and assuming that they would, be, um, they would be charging less for these smaller rooms. And if it's still expensive, I'm, you know, Aspen is expensive, but it's probably less than the larger rooms. Okay. Uh, Tori, I have a question for you. Um, you said that the, that project, the Lift One Corridor project, could be done better and needs to go back to council. We want to know, did you attend any of the meetings regarding the design and programming of the project? They began in the fall of 2016 with hearings on Gorsuch House and, a number, and numbered more than a dozen, if not two dozen, public meetings related to this combined project through HPC, P, P&Z, council meetings. 
Where were you? Uh, I attended less than a handful, less than a handful, three meetings total. So um, I, you know, a little dismayed and, and uh, couldn't believe actually that it reached the level that it did. Um, I, I was very surprised that the lodge incentive package was being applied here. I was surprised that the Gorsuch House was added on to the top of it. Um, I'm almost even more surprised to hear now that the lodge incentive package, which was worked on using the Molly Gibson and the Hotel Aspen, which is the same owner and developer as the Lift One Lodge, gives me pause for concern as well. Um, but yes, I, I attended a handful of those meetings. Um, you know, over the last year, I've been really working on uh, the city hall. I attended a bunch of meetings for the city hall uh, proposal in the building. I've been working on some other environmental initiatives that I've been doing, but the Lift One Lodge corridor, I, I never thought it would even see the light of day that it did see or the <clears throat> council support that it, it received. Um, so I, as a private citizen, I attended a couple meetings to find out what was going into my community, but uh, towards the end when it was being sent to the voters, a 250 plus word question to the voters approving four different aspects of, of a project. Uh, that's when I was in attendance and, and asking this council to choose a different direction. Isn't that a pet peeve of elected officials to show up at the end to, you know, weigh in on It's not a pet peeve for me. Things? You know, I appreciate anybody that's showing up during the process at any time. And more than that, I actually respect them and listen to what they're saying. So sometimes, and I've shared this with you before, sometimes, you know, my voice being shared with council has not had the positive effect that I hope it would. Um, and I think that this project might have been one of those. So, so you stood down on going and expressing your concerns about the Gorsuch House because you didn't, you didn't no, want no. to antagonize the council. Not, I didn't want to push them further the other way, that's for sure. I think what we got as it is was falling a little short of community goals, without a doubt. Uh, and, and like I said, you know, I did at the end. I, I was in attendance and I was trying to encourage this council not to send that question to the voters and to take some action here at council and to lead a little bit more on that. This question is for both of you and I'll let you answer first. Again, this is our last question on lift one. Uh, do you support snow melting South Aspen Street as part of the project's initial construction? Since we know hundreds of cars and delivery trucks will be using that road to service the two developments in the ski hill, why would we wait two years and pour chemicals and de-icers and whatever else onto our streets right off the bat? Well, first, I think we're sticking with gravel for two years. Well, uh, the, the idea is you'll use you know, manual methods start using chemical de-icers if the street is still not safe, and then if Perhaps. that's still inadequate. Yeah. As far as I know, we're sticking with the, the gravel until we find out that it's not working, and then we'll look at alternatives. Uh, the snow melt, it's actually, I, I was originally opposed to it, partly thinking you live in a winter, a place with a winter climate, and people have to adjust. We can't snow melt every street in town. But people, have, after some discussion, it it's kind of a, a plausible solution. Uh, if it can be tied to hot water in the building or some type of radiant heat that you're getting that, that's coming already from um, water air that's being heated in the building and that you don't have a separate uh, energy source for this. And then, of course, if it's Electric, it could be Aspen uh, Electric, which is 100% renewable. 
um, once you get that snowmelt, then you are um, eliminating the snow plows and you know the trucks going up. So it actually is a fairly good idea. Right now, I think the the hurdle is who's going to pay for it. I mean, it's extremely expensive. It's already and been decided. The city's paying a third. Uh, yeah, but it, that is contingent on a report that's being done two years from now. I actually, I'm satisfied to, you know, it's, we're not going to have anything built up there for a couple of years. I'm satisfied for people to take a look, look at the pros and cons of uh, the environmental impacts versus the expense versus the uh, maintenance and, and use of the street and then make a decision tori to snow melt or not it, you know i it's such a shame i don't think any of us environmentally look forward to snow melt right and if there is a geothermal solution for that that'd be wonderful there won't be any buildings currently so hot water from them to heat the snow melt won't work uh, but unfortunately i don't see how the construction gets done during winter months without it that road is nearly impassable for so many vehicles as it is right now. If we're going to move forward with that construction, I don't see how we do it without a safer street. I just have to say they've been building all winter the, the other side of the street, so I don't know that it's created a, a problem. Those are them. 14 townhomes. They're not, it's not two hotels. Half, halfway, right, down, but halfway down the road as well. We're talking about are, trucks going to the, to the top of that. Dark, those are dark places. There's street. not traffic, but... Regardless, I want to. No, I was talking about the construction. Oh, it's gotcha. going on. Uh, quickly, let me ask this question, Curtis. Um, for both of you, if you can answer quickly, we're running out of time. Uh, there's a group forming that wants to see a public process for the design of the new city office building. Do you support this? Should there be public charrettes or a 3D model for people to see what you're building? Um, some. Do you think it's a wall that people are referring to between? Rio Grande Park and the River District and town. Tori, quickly, if you could answer, do you support that? I do support it. Um, I've had issues with the building design. Um, you know, as I've said, this is a municipal building. The city itself is in charge of building this. This is a chance for us to uh, display our current values and our future aspirations, who we think we are and who we want to be through this building. Uh, there's a lot of opportunity that's been left on the table over there. So uh, absolutely, I do support the redesign. Uh, and before I finish answering that question, w earlier we were talking about this. Uh, I was again surprised that this city council went through the process of approving the new city hall and then on the ballot through a question to buy a different building in town. So where is the strength and leadership and conviction in that? If you've literally gone through the process to design your new office building and then at the 11th hour you say but maybe we should buy this uh, to me this that's not design. leadership on the right. city hall building it's just this is design yes do you support going through a public process with the design of that building yes with what um so what ordinance four has decided is the footprint the height some of the exterior materials and the far that's what we have we basically have a building show we still have to program the inside spaces. We still have the ex exterior spaces, Galena Plaza, the connections to the parks, um, connections between the parks. So there's a lot of latitude and there's a lot of work that can be done. The, as mayor, as councilperson, what I want to avoid is making uh, change to the footprint or the FAR 
uh, uh, significant enough change that you'd start the whole land use process again. We've got the vote um, approving the building. Uh, the voters have built on what uh, was illustrated, so I'm assuming they're supporting that. And as I said, there's plenty of latitude still on the inside and the exterior spaces. I would like to see something that's a very much a civic piece of architecture, and I think we can accomplish that with treatment of the exterior and outside spaces. All right, we're down to our last five minutes. This may be our last question. Um, given predictions uh, that have been made recently by a respected appraiser that we could be entering the next down cycle in the uh, real estate market, if tax revenues declined and City Hall, ha uh, City Hall had to tighten its belt, where would you cut? Go ahead, uh, Ann. Yeah, okay. why don't you start, Ann? Well, the project now is the building of the 39,000 square feet down at Rio Grande and then a renovation of this, of this building. Mm -hmm. um, if, this, if there was a significant downturn, I would take a look at the program. Do we need both buildings? Do we maybe go back to everyone in that one building if we can accomplish it and uh, hold off on the renovation of this building? Anywhere else? For City Hall itself. Oh, no, I'm just, sorry. Just the whole, I'm talking. I'm the not whole budget. The whole budget. Oh, okay, okay. I'm sorry. I thought you were still talking about facilities. You got about um, 20 seconds to answer that. Okay, so we're going to have a new city manager. We're going to hire a professional city manager. The first thing I'll ask him to do or her to do is assess our budget, our staffing needs, our services, and where can, whether it's a downturn or not, where can we start cutting things out? Tori. Well, uh, let's see. The first place is really to talk about what's happened just in the last couple months. Um, this council approved 11 new city employees for a million dollar payroll increase. Uh, we've got the city hall building that is being programmed with thousands of extra unprogrammed space. So current trajectory for our city government is growth. I think the very first thing we need to do is really examine those future plans and what we're going to be doing. Uh, having a new city manager will be great for that, but that city manager at this time is not expected to be um, hired until September, possibly October, maybe more likely. Um, so I think it really is incumbent upon a council and a new mayor coming in to really start this process now, not wait for a new city manager. Um, I also am looking into plans for an across the board 3% departmental savings in addition to what we're doing right now. So I've already actually started looking at this. These are words that I heeded last year uh, about a potential economic downturn. But more than that, what I saw was a trending growth of the Aspen city government that is very concerning to me. Thanks. So that's all the time we have. Uh, I'm Carolyn Sakharyson with the Aspen Times, along with Curtis Wackerly with the Aspen Daily News. You've been watching Squirm Night. Thanks to our participants in Grassroots TV. Thank you. If you missed you. part of this in this show and you want to watch it again, you can go on Grassroots. It'll be on their website, their Facebook page. If Aspen voters have not received their ballots in the mail, please contact the city clerk's office. Uh, ballots must be returned to the city clerk by 7 p.m. on April 2nd. In-person voting is available on the second floor of City Hall. So thank you very much. Thank you very much.